promise, Lord, never again. But I also know that you know what a weak willed person I am. I'm a wonderful person. Psalm 21. Lord, the king finds joy in your strength. How greatly he rejoices in your victory. You have given him his heart's desire and have not denied the request of his lips. For you meet him with rich blessings. You place a crown of pure gold on his head. He asked you for life, and you gave it to him. Length of days forever and ever. His glory is, gl- is great through your victory. You confer majesty and splendor on him. You give him blessings forever. You cheer him with joy in your presence. For the king relies on the Lord. Through the faithful love of the Most High, he is not shaken. Your hand will capture all your enemies. Your right hand will seize those who hate you. You will make them burn like a fiery furnace when you appear. The Lord will engulf them in his wrath and fire will devour them. You will wipe their progeny from the earth and their offspring from the human race. Though they intend to harm you and devise a wicked plan, they will not prevail. Instead, you will put them to flight when you ready your bowstrings to shoot at them. Be exalted, Lord, in your strength. We will sing and praise your might. Amen. Our reading today comes from Ezekiel chapter 3, beginning at the 22nd verse. The hand of the Lord was on me there, and he said to me, Get up, go out to the plain, and I will speak with you there. So I got up and went out to the plain. The Lord's glory was present there, like the glory I had seen by the Kiber Canal, and I fell face down. The Spirit entered me and set me on my feet. He spoke with me and said, Go, shut yourself inside your house. As for you, son of man, they will put ropes on you and bind you with them, so you cannot go out among them. I'll make your tongue stick to the roof of your mouth, and you will be mute and unable to be a mediator for them, for they are a rebellious house. But when I speak with you, I will open your mouth and you will say to them, This is what the Lord God says. Let the one who listens listen, and let the one who refuses refuse, for they are a rebellious house. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, this is our last portion of Ezekiel chapter 3, and you're probably saying, Thank goodness, we've been in Ezekiel chapter 3 now for like a month. What the heck? Uh, you know, we have the, we, we began it all with the, the speaking of the words and t- taking them to heart and, and the, the distress over Ezekiel now having been sent to the people. And now it's time to start doing his stuff. And then him uh, being told that he's going to be a watchman and he's to look for danger. He's to find sin in a way, but then also the Lord sort of turns the tables on our whole human understanding to say that your own righteousness, your own ability, your own good works, uh, the the kingdom of God does not work like scales in which uh, you do a whole bunch of good things and you just hope that they outweigh the bunch of bad things. That's, That's not how it works. That sin is sin in the eyes of God. And now we have 
sort of the the culmination of all of this to basically tell Ezekiel all this stuff that I'm giving you to do, it's not going to go well, okay? But be prepared. I'm going to show you all these visions, all of this. I'm going to give you all of these sermons that you're going to be doing to try and explain to the people exactly what is going to be happening. And very few people are going to listen to you because they're going to think you're actually nuts. <laughs> but it's okay. You, you are, are to speak my word when I speak through you. And so he begins here that it says the hand of the Lord was on me there. It's, it's, uh, I, I like to think of it as in the grasp of the Lord, as, as though the, the Lord is, is holding him close, uh, like a child, like a, like a baby snug in his arms. But uh, the hand of the Lord was on me there. And he said to me, get up, go out to the plain and I will speak with you there. And so he gets up and he goes out to the plain. Uh, the, the word is, is closer uh, to valley. So somewhere between mountains. It's not on a mountaintop. You notice? It's not on some high place. And in Israel, the high places were a big deal. That was where you were supposed to meet God. It was this notion of climbing up to God. Uh, my, my senior pastor uh, pointed out to me during one during my sermon this last Sunday that these, these high places were almost a mimicry of uh, the Tower of Babel. And if you remember that story, it was this goal that we had as human beings to try and go to war against God. We were building this tower to try and reach up to the heavens that we might lay siege to the heavens and kill God, basically make ourselves God, make ourselves higher and exalted. And here instead, what do we have this picture of? We have this picture of Ezekiel being taken down into a valley almost as though it's in mimicry of Psalm 23, going through the valley of the shadow of death or the darkest valley, a a place that is not high and raised up, a place that, that would make you feel as though you were not that close to God and yet God takes him out into this valley. And you'll notice as we continue through Ezekiel, lots of things happen in valleys and in plains, not on hilltops that it is that the exalted nature of God is one to where he finds us in our lowest of our lows. He finds us in the places and he takes us to the places in which we can't exalt ourselves so that he might exalt us. And that's, that's almost what happens here in which, uh, he goes out to the plain and the glory of the Lord was present there like the glory I had seen by the Kiber Canal and I fell face down. That, that, it's that same chariot, that same UFO, that same <laughs> uh, craziness uh, that, that, that we had in, in the beginning in, in chapter 1. Well, Ezekiel sees the same thing and he does the only thing he can do, which is he falls face down. He falls down in a, in a, in a position of worship. That's one of the biggest things that we need to discern too about the Christian life, about our life before God, is that worship is not something in which, well, I guess it can be dancing around and all that stuff. There is this sense of praise and arms lifted up and all these things. But in in both Hebrew and in Greek, and I've talked about this before on this podcast, but I'm going to continue to talk about it. It is a, a humiliating position. It is, it is a position in which you bow yourself completely to the ground in such a way that you can kiss the feet of the person in whom you are worshiping to say that I am lower than you, you are higher than me. It's, it's, a, it's a place of humiliation. 
of humbleness, of humility. And here, uh, it's the only reaction that Ezekiel can have as he's taken out to the plain and he sees the glory of God again. But then God's spirit enters him and sets me on my feet, he says, raises him up, lifts him up, raises him from that, that humble position that he might be exalted for this task that God has given him. It's uh, it's a good lesson for us to learn, church, and, and for those who are, are pastors or thinking of being pastors or teachers within the church. To be a preacher, to be a teacher in the church, it always has to begin with humility. You cannot begin with pride. Some of the dangers that we fall into as pastors is we assume that you've shown up to church to listen to us. And so we have to be cool and we have to be hip and we have to be engaging and we have to make sure that that uh, you love us. And so we'll do anything we can. And you see this within the mega church movement uh, in the U.S. and around the country is that you have to have this personality up there. You have to have this this dude who looks good in skinny jeans and a tight t-shirt and, and designer shoes, right? And can tell some good jokes and all those other things instead of just being one who's been called on to proclaim the goodness of God, to proclaim the gospel to you, but also to convict you, to proclaim the law to you. Those two things working together. And so there is this, this, this necessity for us to understand that to go about our work as preachers, to go about our work as servants within the kingdom, it has to start, it has to start with humility. It has to start with, with being in a position of both worship and, as well as knowing that you are not cut out for this task. You, you in yourself are, are not some awesome person because you get the chance to speak or teach or preach. No, instead it is God who, who lifts you up, who raises you up to give you the work that is needed to be done. And it only comes by the word and the spirit of God through Christ and through the Holy Spirit. And so it is that, that he's raised up and then God says a specific thing to him, gives him a specific task. He, he takes him away from the people and he says, go home, shut yourself in there and do not leave because I have a job for you, but I need to show you everything that you are going to be speaking of to the people. Most of the Jewish commentators will say that is, that is what uh, God is telling him. I'm going to shut you up in your house. I'm going to bind you so that you cannot proclaim anything until you have the full message to deliver. And it's not going to be a fun message, but I'm going to do some interesting things with you. And we'll see this next week when we try to tackle all of chapter four. Uh, but another way to interpret this, though, besides besides God saying uh, you, you need to be be left within a position in which you need to learn and grow and understand the message uh, before you can go out and preach it there there's a message there for us to be able to say that that uh, a preacher needs education whether it is something that they do on their own where maybe they've spent 30 years digging into the scriptures and reading and sitting at the feet of other pastors and preachers. And then finally God calls them into something and they're equipped to be able to go. That's part of our job as pastors is to equip you for ministry. 
But also, too, there's something to be said for a traditional uh, educational format for pastors, for people who are going to be preachers, because there is a lot to learn of this job, not only to preach the gospel and all its sweetness and the law and all its wrathfulness, but also to be one who listens, for instance, who listens for the sinner crying, which is what Luther says, to be able to proclaim the freedom of Christ at the time that is necessary. But also another way to interpret this, though, is that uh, he's going to come preaching a word that people are not going to like. And what does it say? It says that they're going to bind him, that they're going to tie him up. Uh, what does that What does that speak to, to us? Uh, it, it speaks to us that that. For us, um, we tend to not like preachers. We don't want someone to come to us and speak truth. Isn't that true, church? When someone's going to come to us and tell us of the reality of what is going on, is you know the times when interventions take place in our lives because of addictions or 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 sin or whatnot. How often it is that people come to us to speak truth to save us and we don't want to hear them because we do not want to admit that we're broken, that, that we need help. And so it is the nature of the sinner, myself included, that we are more quickly to go and bind up and cast away our preachers than, than we are to readily listen to them. And so there is this warning for us that we, we should not tie up and throw away our preachers here, like what this sort of this picture is for Ezekiel. But instead, we should, as, as the small catechism tells us uh, in, in the, the commandment around the Sabbath, the fourth commandment, that we are to, to willingly and lovingly heal, hear the word of God and desire to learn it. That, that is the, the goal of the Sabbath, to give us an opportunity to hear the word, both in its, its condemnation and its exaltation. And so it's a warning to us that as sinners, that our, our default is to get rid of the preacher. We want the preacher to be there for us, to, to, that our ears might be opened by the Spirit to be able to hear, hear the word. Uh, that well, there's the sense that he's going to be imprisoned, that he's going to be tied up. He's not going to be allowed to preach. And this is going to, I think the second interpretation fits well once we get into chapter four. It fits well once we get into chapter four, because it's going to, it's going to explain some things of what it is that God then has him do. But we'll, we'll get, you can read ahead, but we'll, we'll get to that next week. But he says, God says, I will make your tongue. This is verse 26. I will make your tongue stick to the roof of your mouth and you will be mute and unable to be a mediator for them for they are a rebellious house. Uh, the, this translation here from the Christian Standard Bible is not the best because the, the, the word closer means you're not going to be able to rebuke them. You're not going to be able to convict them. You're not going to be able to be a man who, who points out the truth is, is the sense of the word. Uh, mediator tends to be someone who is going to stand in the place uh, between two parties, right? To, to try and help a, a, a good conclusion to come out. Um, but that's not what, what this word really means here. And it's one of those places where the Christian Standard Bible tends to fail us. And I tend to um, 
there's often times that there's no perfect Bible translation out there. So I, I always write notes and my, you know, my, my Bible's full of, of notes and underlining and highlighting and circles and arrows and all these things. And here it makes sure to point out to me that this is, this is not the correct translation of the word. It's, but I think both things fit in the sense that God is saying, well, number one, I'm not going to allow you to be a mediator for the people. I'm going to, I'm going to stick the roof to your, stick the tongue to the roof of your mouth. You're not going to be able to speak unless I open your mouth. And the only things you're going to be able to speak are the things that I give to you. And so you're not going to be able to be one who's going to come to me and ask me to be lenient, uh, would be a way to interpret it. If we want to think that this word actually means mediator, but then also it, gives a sense too on the other side of, of what the word really kind of means is that you're you're not going to be free to uh, rebuke however you want to instead you are going to have to listen to me and you're going to have to do what i have in mind and uh you're going to have to speak the word that I give you. You're not going to be able to speak whatever it is that you want to speak. You have to be patient. And then when I open your mouth, you're going to be able to preach. Now that's one, another lesson for us to learn as, as Christians and especially as pastors and preachers. Oftentimes we have to really learn when to keep our mouth shut because we're so often quick to try and give it advice or to fix things. It was one of the things that I learned when I was on CPE, on clinical pastoral education, as a chaplain in a hospital. One of the first things that my supervisor, Mark Mallinger, taught us was that he's like, you can't fix stuff. People are here in the hospital and they're basically having to wait. They're either waiting for surgery or they're waiting for healing after surgery or they're waiting to go home to die. And there's nothing you can do about it. And so it becomes a time in which I can remember one day I I sat in a woman's room who was waiting to have hip surgery. She had broken her hip. She was in her eighties and she was in so much pain, so much pain. And they tried to get her on pain meds, but it could not even uh, come close to, to uh, cutting the pain that she had. And I sat in her room for 20 minutes holding her hand as she squeezed the life out of it every time she had this pain. And I just kept saying, it's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. And I remember finally she whispered to me, no, it's not. And I remember when she said that, I finally, I went back to our, our group to do a debrief uh, later that afternoon. And I told this story. And I said, that was a wake-up call for me, that I can sit here and say, it's going to be okay, and sometimes it's not going to be okay, that I'm going to be too quick to speak, in which I need to often just listen or sometimes just be present. And a lot of Ezekiel's time here in these next few chapters is going to be him present as God speaks to him and shows him particular, particular things. Because then he says uh, that, that they're a rebellious house, so they're not going to listen. They're not, they're not going to do what you ask them to do. Or if they do it, they're the ones that I've decided are going to listen because God says, but when you, when I speak with you, I will open your mouth and you will say to them, this is what the Lord God says. Thus saith the Lord, uh, as the word comes, let the one who listens, listen, that, 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 that harkens back to Jesus. When he, when he says with those who with ears, let them hear, <laughs> um, and let the one who refuses refuse, for they are a rebellious house. In other words, saying, don't try and do everything you can to get them to hear. 
Instead, be prepared for the fact that some people are going to reject you. And that's something else that we have to learn in the church, is that we do everything we can to speak to people of Christ, to speak to people of the church, to try and get them to come to church. But at the same time, at the end of the day, we need to be able to step back and just say, church is just not for some people. Some people have been hurt so bad by the church that they they are ready to just step away, and we need to allow them to do that. But that doesn't mean we don't just keep asking, and eventually maybe they'll say yes. Otherwise, we commend everyone to the grace of God and pray that his word and his spirit would do their work. Well, this, this finishes up chapter three for us. We're going to be stepping into chapter four and uh, and. Ezekiel becoming the embodiment of a parable, dramatizing his sermon in a particular way. Uh, and, and then we also get a recipe for bread that I don't think I would like to eat. <laughs> um, but um, until, we, until we get to that chapter next week, I pray that things would go well with you this week. Uh, please share this. Uh, we've been getting a lot of downloads these last uh, couple of months, and I thank you for that. We have people listening from all over the world, and I am so grateful that for that. I can't believe that that uh, uh, stupid little pastor <laughs> who who used to serve in Minnesota, now serving in the middle of nowhere in California, uh, got has have people listening from all sorts of different places. I'd ask you keep sharing it. Not because we want to be famous or anything, but we want to get this word out of the grace of God that comes to us, that it is that God works through us in our humiliated, humbled, sinful state to be his mouthpiece to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ that is freedom and mercy for sinners. Pray that that would be something that rings true in your ears every time we gather together. Let us pray. Stir up our hearts, O Lord, to prepare the way for your only Son. By his coming, give us strength in our conflicts and shed light on our path through the darkness of this world. Through your Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Well, church, go in peace, serve the Lord, and we will see you next time.